Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, November 14th, 2017, and it seems like we here in beautiful Brooklyn, New York City have skipped straight from summer redux to winter, like overnight. Seriously, it was so cold this past weekend that the gingo tree on my block just dropped all its leaves overnight. All. Just released them. And they were still green. I guess when you're done, you're done. But as for us, we just getting started here. So keep listening. to lock, but I'm cool like that. Man, Cleopatra Jones. And I'm chill like that. 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 I'm chill. Seven and a crescent. Us cause a buzz when a nickel bets a dealt. Him, that's my man with the asteroid belt. They catch a fizz from the Mr. Doodle Big. He rocks a tea from the Crooklyn Nine Pigs. The rebirth of slick like my gangster stroll. The lyrics just like Luke come in stacks and rolls. You used to find the bug in a box with fade. Now he boogies up your stage, plats twist the braids. And I'm peace like that. 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 Move like that, I jive like that, I roll like that. Yeah, I'm thick like that, I stack like that, I'm down like that, I'm black like that. Yo, I funk like that, I'm fat like that, I'm in like that, cause I swing like that. We jazz like that, we freak like that, we zoom like that, we out, we out, we out. (laughs) 
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was the, digga, the Diggable Planets with Rebirth of Slick, parenthesis, I'm cool like that, from their Reaching, a Refutation of Time and Space album from 1993. Ah, uh, and speaking of cool like that, I can't wait for you to meet our guest artist this week. They are this New Yorican married theater couple who are passing down that legacy to the next generation and Brooklyn natives. And oh my God, like they're my favorite people in the whole world. Yeah, I know. Everybody's my favorite. So let's get this fiesta started with this song chosen by this week's guest artist to open their episode. Shadow in the city All around people looking half dead Walking on the sidewalk harder than a match But at night it's different world Go out and find a girl Come on, come on and dance all night Despite the heat it'll be alright And babe, don't you know it's a pity The days can't be like the nights In the summer, in the city In the summer, in the city in the city, dressed so fine and looking so pretty. Cool cat looking for a kitty, gonna look in every corner of the city. Till I'm wheezing like a bus stop, running up the stairs, gonna meet you on the rooftop. But at night it's a different world, go out and find a girl. Come on, come on, if that's all night, despite the heat, it'll be alright. And babe, don't you know it's a pity the days can't be like the nights in the summer, in the city, in the summer, in the city. We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That song was from a 60s band called The Lovin' Spoonful. The song is called Summer in the City, and it's from their Hums of the Lovin' Spoonful album back in 1966, which was also the year that that song was a single. And I think it was like one of, remember I was playing my summer songs from my well-spent youth earlier Earlier this year, well, um, yeah, well spent youth, 1966. Uh, let's see. Well, I can tell you this. 
one of the three of us actually was born in 1966. You're just going to have to guess which one. And now, it's time for our favorite part of the show. Welcome to Fish Out of Agra's Guest Artist of the Week. Woohoo! It's, this is my favorite part of the show. I mean, every week I say whoever I'm interviewing is my favorite, but this time it's really true because I'm sitting here with two people, um, a couple whom I've known doing theater and other things. Oh, God, since the beginning. The 21st be- century. Oh, yeah, beginning of the 21st, right, not the 20th. Thank you, thank you. So um, this is our first um, double interview. So please wow, welcome to Fish Out of Agua. Allison Astor Vargas and Dennis Vargas. Hey. Woo! <laughs> Yay. Oh, my God. I've been trying to get you guys together all summer, and I'm just so thrilled. And so, so how many years of art do we have all together between us? Oh. Oh, Jeez. Lots. <laughs> between the three of us, we performed in theaters too numerous and sometimes too torturous to mention. Too torturous to yeah. mention, Or yes. too cave-like yeah. to yeah. mention. Yeah. But we're gonna, I'm going to start with you first, Allison. Um, we met through a, a fellow playwright friend named Franco Ambris, right. I think of right around the turn of the century. We started yeah. working together, but what I don't remember was, were you an actress first? Were you always a director? Because I only knew you as a director. Right. I w- I, you know, in college I, I was in plays, but then I decided I'd rather direct... I think I went on an audition, and it was, like, for some children's show. It was, like, the part of a talking clock or something like that. A talking and, clock? <laughs> yeah, and the people who were auditing weren't really paying attention. I said, this sucks. I'm not doing this. You know, I don't want to yeah, torture yeah. myself this way. And I, I prefer directing, actually. It's like a classic actor. I don't want yeah. to act. I want, want to, to direct. direct. Oh, you guys met in college, correct? Yes. 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 And you, you guys were doing theater in college? Yes. We yes. were theater majors right. at Fordham University, the college at Lincoln Center. You know, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you became a director. And what were we working on together at first? I I think it was. I think it was an early version of my Red Bush mm, and other I, stories. And other stories. Yes. And we, it, it, the first time I think was PSNBC at here. I remember that. That was a showcase that with. Um, oh God, I can't remember the name of the person that ran it, but it was a stepping stone to like some people would do this showcase and then they would get to go to the Aspen Comedy Festival, That's which was right. a big deal at that time. Yeah. Right. The HBO Aspen Comedy yes. Festival. It, they don't just, do that anymore. No, and it's just such a nice space. Yeah, to the work here space in. is great. Here is nice. And PSNBC was a very well-run festival. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like it today. Yeah, a lot of a lot of programs like that have fallen to the wayside over the years. Mm. But uh, but I think that was the first thing we did, and you you worked on it, you developed it, and then we did it later on, in two thousand one. Yes, and um, that that was that was the uh, production that was truncated because 9-11 happened two days before we opened. That's right. And then we all had a lot worse things to think about than uh, my play is not opening. And who was was in the mindset to be creative at that particular moment? Also, like um, 
uh, a primary day. So I, w I went to go vote and I took my picture and I was late. And because I was late, I was on the subway at, you know, 8.30, 8.43. And they said it, a plane just ran into the building and somebody asked, oh, are the, is the R train still running? And uh, I just thought, oh, I can get through. I, I think we made it two or three stops and the, the train was eerily empty. And uh, the person at Atlantic Avenue said, just go home. It impacted all theater on the Lower East Side and the East yes. Village for months to come. Yep. Because I remember doing another play after and we were we were rehearsing at, at El Bojio Chadas. Oh yeah, yeah. And you could, and it was in at the end of October, and you could just like every once in a while you would just get this smell coming in the open windows. Like you yeah. know how like October is yeah. hot in New York sometimes, yeah, yeah. and you know no no yeah, air conditioning. That in was school. also you know I belonged to um, we was I was studying at Ensemble Studio Theater, and people oh, right. people playwrights were going. You know what I had this comedy skit and it had to do with these terrorists these bumbling terrorists and i'm just scrapping it you know everybody was sort of censoring themselves and they were very sen sensitive to what was going on at that moment and i think that's the first time that people were actually taking into account things that were going on it was Right, because yeah. up until then we were just like, la, no, la, la, no, we're la, just la, gonna la, do la, what we want to do. We're gonna write what we're gonna write. We're gonna say what we're gonna say. But it was like, okay, you know what? I need to respect this event. And yeah, this because it was well, it was a, I don't know, it was just like there was everybody before and everybody after. That's yeah. all. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, Geez, all right, Dennis. Did you, when did you know you were going to be an actor? Oh, the, oh, your family, um, performers, musicians? No. Nobody huh. in my family really was a performer, per se. I think at a very early age, I, I would see things uh, on TV, of course, you know, movies, and I was fascinated. I mean, my, you know, my folks would take me to the old Sanders Theater on whatever movie happened to be playing. They didn't have babysitters, so, you know, I was seeing things like Lady Sings the Blues and, you know, for Pete's sake with... Um, which actually was filmed in the neighborhood with Barbara really? Streisand. Well, well, a lot of movies and have I, been filmed in this neighborhood. Yeah, and I've seen them all. Dog uh, and I remember when they were filming that. They filmed, uh, when I was coming home from school, they were filming The Lords of Flatbush along 8th Avenue between 11th and 12th Street. So I saw Sylvester Stallone. I saw Henry Winkler. Wow, um, that's cool. So we're talking about the 70s? Yeah, this, or yeah, the that, 80s? Was, that was 73. Okay, that wow. Was 73, yeah, because that movie was released in 74. Uh, Dog Day, uh, Dog Day Afternoon was, it was like also like seventy five or seventy four. No, same, same. Really, really, within all that, I would say between seventy three and seventy five, all these movies were being filmed. Wow. Uh, a little bit later, then there was, uh, they were filming Ragtime, and oh, they wow. used the interior. Yeah, they used the interior of the armory, and I was about, oh, I guess I was about four maybe 13, 14, and anytime I saw a film crew, I was out there. I was like, you know, oh, yeah, I'm hanging around, hanging around. And I was standing in front of the armory, and I just remember the crew was there, and they already knew me, you know, and they're like, hi, how you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm just hanging around. And one, I see this limo pull up, and my dad just happened to, for whatever reason, he was off. I guess it was summer, so maybe he was on vacation. And he knew where I was, so he came walking over, and he was standing with me, and he's like, so what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just watching them film. 
And all of a sudden, I see this limo pull up. And then I see this large man come out. And he's already in period makeup. You know, he's got the big must kind of uh, um, ambassador's mustache on. Oh, wow. Just the type that curl up into your sideburn. Like- and, you know, he walked out and he had a helper and he's like, good morning, gentlemen. You know, and he had his outfit from the turn of the century and he's and it's so hot out. And he's walking up to the door to go in. And I realized that that was Jimmy Cagney. Really? <laughs> And I was like, I was standing there. And when he said that, my dad was like, who was that? And he was the guy that always, he was the one that taught me about actors and artists and all of this stuff. And I was like standing there like. So so you were like a kid. like I was about 12. 12, okay. At that moment in time. you knew who Jimmy Cagney yes, was. I was. And I you did. were twelve. Because when we were kids, they would they would they would run all these yes. wonderful old movies, and some of them in black and late. white, like the million dollar movie on yep. channel nine and channel eleven. Yep. Right. Yep. Before yep. there was cable, before no there was TCM. internet. Yep. No, no TCM. Yep. They would just And it was the luck of the draw too. Yep, yep, you know, yep. Whatever you but, saw. but you know, in those days old movies became kind of in vogue because all these old actors or older actors um, would wind up on the talk shows because yes, yes. oh Johnny you know Carson let's talk a, let's talk to Betty Davis let's talk to Deborah Kerr because you know their movies are on and people want to know what they're up to yeah you know now it's it, you know our kids you know we we take them to see some of these old movies we took them to see Casablanca at Brooklyn mm-hmm. Bridge Park um, you know we we want to introduce them to you know some of the older movies that they wouldn't put on themselves. Yeah, no, I think that's a great thing because I think a lot of that knowledge is just being lost because I don't know if it's because uh, a lot of young people aren't interested or because they're not exposed to it. I mean, I, I think kids, in a, as a rule, are not really interested, but we were exposed to it so much we became interested. Right, we only had seven channels. Yeah, yeah. and that's the uh, exactly. almost and channel too 13. Much. And, channel, and channel 13. And channel 13. And channel th- there's almost yeah. too much for them yeah. to watch yeah. Look, and when choose from. When, but, you know, as kids, when it was a big deal when these movies came on TV, yes. right? And we saw them anyway, whether we were ready for them or not. That's I, right. Yeah. I, remember- I remember that they took us to see a workshop production of uh, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat oh. with William Cat. Wow. Uh, and I, I, it's one of the first, like, theater moments I remember. I, I, my first Broadway show, I was in fourth grade. And it was The Wiz with Stephanie Mills. I remember The Wiz. And oh I think after that point in, in school, we would go see one uh, Broadway show a year. That's what that's what happened in public school in New York City. Yeah. Yes, we would go see. I remember I mean, seeing you, What a luxury, really. And it was, you know, discounted price, whatever. And then the second show that we saw the year after was Timbuktu with Eartha Kitt and Melba Moore. <gasps> Eartha Kitt! Oh, yes. So that, that was a treat, and it was a real treat to see her. But could you imagine being a kid, and you're like, hey, that's Catwoman. Yeah. And I get to see it. And it was it just, you it, just fall in it, love with the magic. Because, you know, then they had the TKTS booth. We would go every so often and get, ha- you know, half-price tickets. We saw a chorus line. We saw Evita. That's how long ago this was. Um, and I think we saw My One and Only with Tommy Toon and Twiggy. That's great, I great I, musical. I, I but, but, you know, you could do that because it would wind up, a $40 ticket would wind up costing us, you know, 20 bucks. 
and and that was a somewhat affordable. You know, now it's like a it's half insane. price ticket is still you know sixty sixty yeah. bucks. At least. So many great shows that you guys have been reminiscing about and going to see yeah. as, as young people. Now, when you guys were in college as theater majors and you mm. met and you fell in love and you got <laughs> married, how did your Which, careers take off? I mean, like, what what was it like for you for you two to be both um, young, Latino, and artistic at a time in New York when um, being Latino and artistic weren't necessarily two things that most people would think would go together? After college... Um, you know, I got involved with a, f- with a few Latino theater companies, and I, I kind of... Puerto Rican traveling theater? No, you know what? No, I actually, it was Latea. It was oh, probably I know Latea. Latea was the, actually the first, the first theater in Manhattan. My first couple of things I did was right here in Park Slope in Gallery Players. Oh. Uh, so I started with Gallery Players, and then Gallery Players gave me a couple of musicals. Then I kind of tripped into Latea. Um, because they, which is a legit off-Broadway house. Yes, which is a legit off-Broadway house. And that, that is now in Glemento Sotoveles, which at the time was full of squatters. That's what it was. Nobody had any, you know, it was just a bunch of artists who actually took it over. Um, I remember rehearsing in Latea space and there were squatters who were actually painters, artists, who lived in a room in the back by their space. Uh, and we would be rehearsing in the in the theater space, and sometimes they'd walk out like in their pajamas or you know half naked, you know, to go to the bathroom and watch our you know right. our rehearsal for what we were doing. And, and this was on the Lower East Side. <laughs> this is on the Lower East Side on Suffolk. Which at the time was not gentrified yet. No, at and all. And I remember no, sitting in a in dicey. A, yeah, I, like dicey. dicey. Yeah. I remember sitting in a rehearsal for that particular show again, and we were down in the bigger space downstairs, which I. I, I don't know who has it now, maybe Flamboyang or whatever, but we were down in the bigger space and we were rehearsing and all of a sudden we heard pop, 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 pop. I know what that is. Yeah. And, <laughs> and everybody went, ooh. Not okay. firecrackers. Yeah, not and they went, mm, eh, rehearsal's over. Okay, everybody, we're going to buddy up and we're heading to the subway. Nobody's leaving here alone. You know, and that's what it was. And within the, within, I would say, three minutes of the four or five pops, you know, you hear the sirens. And we waited till the sirens got closer and closer and we left. Yes. You know, yes. because that's the way it was. Well, and you didn't want to be mistaken for the people that were doing the pop, pop, popping yeah, either. Exactly. Exactly. You know, because um, that's another thing that you have to think about. Yeah. Wild stuff. And then I tripped into here theater from there, you know, here, home for the contemporary art and tiny mythic mm-hmm. uh, merged moved from east fourth and created here and because of that i tripped into there you know i did and you've been doing off-broadway stuff and some broadway yeah stuff ever and then since. into the then tripped into the new york and with with her uh well yeah he, kind, he, kind he, of he, before her he was in a play that my cousin janice wrote called fuchsia um, and also, I was working with um, another playwright, Eugene Rodriguez, and we did some stuff at the New Eurekan. And in fact, one of his plays is called La Mariposa, the Butterfly. Mm, that's, I've heard of that one. He lives in the in uh, East Harlem, yeah. and that's the name of his house. And he took a a dilapidated brownstone and he brought it back to life, and he's been living there ever since. Yeah. And it's funny because now. East Harlem is going through this gentrification. Oh yeah, it stuff has been. going. Yep. And he's you watching know, them. Like come he, in. he he posted a picture of his backyard 
and there's like one of those newfangled big box gray buildings and everything else is a brownstone. It's like, uh, you know, it looks, I, you know, I'm not crazy about it, uh, the architecture. Give me a good solid brownstone any day. But anyway, we were, we were doing a lot of work at, at the New Eurekan and his work is always about characters and his themes are always a New Eurekan. There, you know, it, that's just what he does. So yeah, that, it, I fell into that work that way. And then, of course, doing Janice's work also at the New Eurekan and Wow Cafe or wherever we can it, get. Um, her work is, is usually about uh, gay and lesbian issues and, of course, the Latino Right. Uh, as, she was, as she was writing this stuff like 15, 18, 20 years ago yeah. when people, when a, a Latino writer wasn't writing about stuff like that. Or if they were, it wasn't getting produced. Right, yeah. right. And, and, you know, they, they I think they have she the was numbers. A ground, you know, Janice was a groundbreaker in a lot in a lot of ways. She's yeah. won awards and stuff and it's well deserved. You know, I it's so funny because in between all of that, before tripping into into the New Yorican, I got introduced to the New Yorican actually through a through a production that I did, and I actually did wind up performing at BAM, at Brooklyn Academy oh, that's of cool. Music, uh, in the space which is now I think their movie theaters. It, there was an open space there that was kind of flexible to do stuff, and this gentleman, oh God, Carlo, Carlos, I'm trying to remember his last name, but I can't. He was actually a, a UN delegate from uh, to Panama. So he was uh, an Afro-Panamanian, um, and he wrote this piece with music about what it meant to be like an Afro-Panamanian in Panama and all the class distinctions between skin color and all of that. And it was, it was, it was one of the weirdest, kind of best experiences I had because he did it in a dinner theater style because the space was open in, those three, in that area. And you know, we had the, the premiere and these women and these men came dressed to the nines. I mean, you know, he worked for the UN, so, you know, he had all this money to throw away. Uh, but it was so funny. They were all kind of dressed up and, you know, it, it talked to culture, it talked to a lot of things. And every time we said like a truth, they would be talking at us, yelling at us, wow. <laughs> you know, and, and and doing all this stuff. And I was like, oh my god, this is like this this is the wildest theater I've ever done, you know. So it was <laughs> like know? participatory. Kind and of it like was it wasn't supposed thing? to be, but oh. when we would just say things that well, give me you know, about, you know Latinos, they gotta tell you, they gotta I know. tell they you, gotta and they it. were they right. were talking right at they us. They need their stage time. You know, and, and I was, of course, the, the, the kind of mixed Panamanian, you know, more on the Hispanic side, uh, which they would call me the Colón boy, which Colón for Panamanian meant, you know, that you had better hair and you had lighter skin, you know, not necessarily a, a dark or black. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that went on in this play that, you know, and you would think that these people who were so dressed up to the nines wouldn't be talking at the, you know, at the characters. So they're breaking the fourth wall. They were breaking the fourth wall. It was fun though. I bet it was. It was a lot of fun. And then through one of the actors there who passed away, him, him, I remember, Khalif Brathwaite, because he used to know... Rome Neal, who yes, was a big at director yes. at the New York. I, I, I so, so I I got to know Rome Neal through because he was doing a piece there, and I went to see it one day, and it was so funny because at that point me and Allison had lost touch. 
after graduating. But when we got back together a couple of years after that, we realized that we were kind of running around in the same circles, knowing the same people, you know, <laughs> you know, and the same actors and, and stuff. Right. And it's like, oh, so it is. It Let is. me ask you a question. Did you ever work with um, with Miriam at, at the, um, the Puerto Rican? No, I was theater? part of their playwriting unit, which is where I met. Which, no, actually, I met Franco before. When we were when we moved to Park Slope, we formed a little theater company called Stuff of Life, and we were we put an APB for new plays. And Franco Ambrise, uh, uh, put in a play, and uh, I directed this play reading. And Franco was there, and Franco was part of this playwriting group. And he goes, "You should come as a director." And basically, we, we would uh, read plays uh, in development, and we'd give our feedback. Uh, in a, you know, sit at a table. Uh, and give our feedback. So that's how I got involved with uh, the Puerto Rican Traveling Theater. I never then, directed there, but I was part of that uh, playwriting unit. Yeah, and then she, there were a couple of little pieces that I wound up doing play readings through that uh, at the Puerto Rican uh, Traveling yeah, Theater. Yeah, that was, just, the that was just like a great connector because that's how I met Franco. I, mm -hmm. I must have auditioned through backstage for mm -hmm. one of his plays and then he loved me and he wanted to put me in everything and then that's how I met you and now we're here. And here we are. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. So um, how have um, the trajectories for both of you um, morphed over the years? Mm. You work in nonprofit now. How did you right. get into that? Well, um, I one of my first jobs, uh, or I had an internship with Mabu Mines, which was in the East Village in the PS122 building. Uh, so, you know, I, got, I sort of got into the theater admin and the stage management um, part of things. And then I decided I really don't want to be a stage manager because I was sta I stage managed for. Um, Coney Island, USA. They did. Uh, Dick Ziggin wrote a play, uh, farcical about um, Alice in Wonderland. But it, it had all these references to his own to pop culture. And I, I through Mavu Minds, I kind of got exposed to a different kind of theater. Um, and I was doing things on our own, and this morphed into Stuff of Life uh, theater, which um, I directed. Uh, Janice's uh, play, I'll Be Home Para La Navidad, which we did here in Park Slope at the Gallery Players. And we, it, was, it, it was kismet because they had a, a set that was a kitchen and a living room, and that's exactly what we needed. So we rented space from them. We said, we need your set. We'll, we'll take it down for you when we're done. And they were like, sure. So that worked. So it had good produ production values. Dennis was in it. We had just gotten married, and you know. And then I was pro I produced another play that I wrote called Scarlet Fever. We did it at uh, St. Anne's. St. Anne's when it was really in St. Anne's before they moved before to they the, moved, yeah. to the warehouse. Um, yes. But it was about the news media, and it was about the treatment of this woman and and how unfair it was. Yeah. Um, you know the culture wars as well. You know, and and how they just a woman is damned if she. Yeah. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, and and the treatment of Hester Prynne, that you know in the 1600s it still would happen today, and this is how it would unfold. And your current job is as an arts administrator for another theater, right? Repertorio Español, and I've been there. It will be 20 years. Ideo. 50th anniversary as a not-for-profit off-Broadway Spanish language 
theater company. Is it the one of the oldest? One of the oldest. Mm -hmm. um, it's a true repertory company in that we have about 12 to 15 uh, different plays that run throughout a season. And they run in rep. You know, every weekend it's a different schedule. You know, I'm the special projects manager, so I, I we had a playwriting competition, so I... Yeah, uh, Nuestras Voces. Nuestras Voces. I think you've been a judge for me. Yes. A couple times. And we know a few people who have who have won. I think Jenny Elsa Saldana is one of them. Right. The Chronicles right. of BC Jenny, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah she was a mm -hmm. she was a finalist mm -hmm. runner up. Um, yeah, a lot of lot of great plays, a lot of great ideas. Uh, through that, I, I I'm working with a lot of playwrights, putting on uh, play reading festivals, and also if we're lucky, we get. Uh, funded to do a Van Leer Director's Fellowship, and I also put that together. And, you know, the uh, playwriting competition and the Director's Fellowship, we're looking for to encourage uh, Latino artists, right? Because who else is doing that? So our audience are Latin Americans, they're from Spain, they're from the Caribbean, and they're also second and third generation Hispanics. Yes. Uh, through the playwriting competition, yes, a lot. Two thirds of the plays are going to come in in English, but the, our caveat is the plays have to be uh, about Latinos and themes and and subject matter that's of interest to the Latino, Hispanic, or should I say Latinx community. It was so briefly, how would you say that the subject matter of the plays has changed over the last 20 years? I think we get a lot of plays that sometimes you go, well, this is it really a Latino play or is it a very universal play? But I have to say in the last, you know, eight, ten years, a, a majority of the plays that come in have to do with Mexican American crossing over so the immigration. New, the new diaspora. Well, not new, but like the yeah. current one. Well, the, you know, the, current subject matter. But but I have to say that there's, you know, yeah, there's plays about Puerto Ricans. There's plays about Guatemalans. There, there's um, lots of different variety. But I think, you know, we've gotten a lot of plays about Frida Kahlo. We've got a, a great play about Che Guevara that was a finalist. So, you know, there's a lot of different subject matters that they're touching yeah i mean wild in wichita, wild was, in wichita. which is about which is about two aging you know hispanic people one uh, mexican gentleman and a puerto rican woman who happened to be in an old age home in wichita, wichita kansas and all their you know all the things that they thought were their differences and how many things they kind of find that they have similar and uh, that they can relate to and their two children, which I happen to play the son of the Puerto Rican uh, woman, um, you know, and all of those things that they find that they can act, they can actually, you know, have a relationship and fall in love. That was that was very different, and uh, it was it there's, was yeah, it was a cute a great, play. Great scene in there where they're talking about oh well, Mexican music is better than Puerto Rican music, yeah, and Mexican food hysterical. is better than Puerto Rican food. Yeah. And no, it's not, and and they go mm -hmm. back and forth. So even yes, they're both Latinos, but they are diff their differences. It's for you know uh, the diversity. The diversity, and I mean, for me, the last few years, for whatever reason, I've I 
I tripped into another neighborhood. I've, I've worked a lot in Inwood because <laughs> there's a big artistic community up in, in Inwood in upper Manhattan. And I started doing uh, one play called Ache, which is, you know, an interesting play, which then wound up being a finalist later. But they did a, a, a full production. And it was about these two brothers who happened to be twins, but one was white, one was black, and they were separated at birth. One needs to have like a kidney transplant, uh, and the other one is the one who has the kidney. Um, but it was, you know, it's that whole thing, and one happens to be gay, and the other one is, you know, isn't. He's in, you know, a, a hetero relationship. So that was like a really interesting play to do. Uh, up there and we happened to do it in what was a student chapel a church so <laughs> to top that all off you know we, we did it in a in a what would be a consecrated space you so, know wow it sounds you know, great so it was awesome so Dennis briefly how would you say your career has morphed and changed over the last couple of decades yeah briefly. so yeah um, like I said I, I started with you know these groups and kind of tripped into all of these these different things like you know Latea, um, you know going into the Puerto Rican traveling theater uh, play uh, playwriting group, um, you know working at Here Theater actually in, inaugurating Here Theater doing Shakespeare and then kind of took a lull for a while and all of a sudden I find myself doing more Shakespeare again um, and then I am now currently a company member of Magis Theatre Company and we just did a production at La Mama so I found my way back to the East Village uh, performing in That's... that fantastic space and what we wound up doing was uh, the, the Spanish uh, Golden Age play Life is a Dream which was actually written twice the gentleman took it he wrote it in 1635, which is the version everybody else knows and loves and reads in Spanish. And, reads in Spanish. <laughs> and then he wrote it again, kind of like Sophocles in 1677, but he made it into an allegory because he was a priest at that point. And he was forced to be the court playwright, even though he was like, I don't want to do this. And it's like, well, you got to do this. So the first act was the 1635, full out. You know, we had to edit here and there to be able to make it into three hours. And then the next show was, you know, the 1677, which had music. Uh, uh, Cal Calderon was also the father of the Sarsuela, which is the, the Spanish uh, opera, operetta. Liz Suedos, uh, before she passed away, had written music for it. Wow. Um, so between the two of you, there's a shared history and basically a legacy of Latino theater in mm. New York City over a generation. <laughs> now, as a married couple with three gorgeous children, how is your legacy being transferred to the next generation? Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, first of all, we, we take them to see a lot of theater. Yeah, we do. Uh, even the things I'm not doing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, he's been in a lot of places. I've been in a lot of places, yes. That they can see. Yes. You know. um, so say the ages of your children so we have a context. Okay, Jessica is 17, Stephen is 15, and Amanda is 13. Yeah. So we try to expose them, whether it's film, uh, theater, to the arts, like it or not. Here it comes. Um, Jessica, our oldest, is a vocal major at LaGuardia High School. And fame! Yes. Fame, fame. And it, this is what she wants to study in college. So she, she wants to major in music and music education. 
And Amanda is in middle school and she is studying the cello. So, wow. Yeah. That's so, there's yeah. going to be another generation of Vargas, yeah. Vargas artists, LTD. Yes. Wow. Yes. I mean, to me, this is, this is so incredible because I think this is the, exactly the kind of story that people need to hear, that we have a, a, a Latino family that are working artists that are in the arts, whose life is in the arts, and that the legacy is being passed to the next generation. And it shows that it can be done in New York City. Yeah. That is amazing. And in Brooklyn, and the Park Slope love story. Yeah, you know, one of the things we love about this neighborhood actually is, you know, when uh, when they were little, we used to walk them to the puppet show, to the puppet theater here on 6th yes, Avenue. Avenue. Mm -hmm. And we'd go up to the band shell. And I, I remember uh, one of the one of our favorite uh, things is the Alloy Orchestra. They, they create with three, uh, three musicians the background music to silent films and they did Metropolis and we've seen it like three times already. Three and your times. children have also and Metropolis? Yes. Thought, yes. That's, an, that's amazing. Yeah. Because I, I was at, at SVA before I saw it because at Theater 80 used to show all those movies. Yeah. Right. But to be exposed to that even at, at a young and age. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know at the end, you know at the end that, that, that you know, mm -hmm. nobody's minding the machines and the water is flowing down and I remember Stephen, he was kind of young and he it's goes, like, oh, there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and, and then another He's time. About six, On that note, we started this journey in Park Slope, and we're going to end it in Park Slope. Yeah. Dennis, your entire life has been in, in Park Slope, which has seen, speaking of There Goes the Neighborhood, it has seen change and change mm. and change and change again. Yeah. Why don't you give us a, just a tiny bit of an inkling of what it was like to grow up in a neighborhood that has gone from one polarized extreme to another to another in your lifetime? Yeah, you know, growing up, uh, you know, we lived all around Park Slope, my parents. Uh, by the time I was seven, we were already living at 12th Street uh, between 8th and the park. Uh, it was a neighborhood. There were a lot of conflicts. There were fights. There were all sorts of stuff, criminality, whatever you want to think about. Or, you know, in terms of gritty New York, it was happening in Park Slope, whether it was uh, the well, the house of ill repute, the whorehouse, two houses down, that had a bunch of women living there, and you know their their pimp coming over and picking them up. His name his name is Cody. He had a blue angel, blue Cadillac, 1956, uh, white interior. Used to come up every Friday night, pick up his girls, and they would leave. Um, you know, I remember the, the garbage strike, uh, people burning garbage in the middle of the street, you know, and then eventually seeing that change and even my parents seeing that change. Uh, and at one point they were going to leave the city. They thought, oh, all right. But then they saw the change and they said, well, maybe we're not going to go anywhere. They were going to stay right here. Uh, and they did, you know, and slowly things started to change and, and morph. More of the artists moved in, such as yourself. I, yes, I, I came to this neighborhood as a recent art school graduate. Yeah. It was the only place that wasn't the Bronx that, wasn't the that Bronx. I could afford. Afford. And I remember, you know, we had, um, we had neighbors. Uh, there was a guy. Um, and that was in the 80s. That was in the 80s. That was in the 80s that was when in I the came. 80s. And I came exactly. to this neighborhood as an artist and living amongst other Puerto Ricans, but I wasn't, I was there as an artist, which as is like a artist. different 
Yeah, thing. So, absolutely. Yeah, so I kind of almost feel like the gentrification, I, I was like the first wave of it and I didn't even know it at the uh, time. And I remember, you know, we had neighbors that bought like this the houses around stuff. us. <laughs> yeah, the bought houses around us. And I remember one of our first neighbors when, I mean, I, like I said, I was always interested in acting. And uh, our, uh, we had a next door neighbor who there was the first co-op in the neighborhood. And he bought a unit uh, in the building next door. His name was Jimmy Young. Uh, I was in maybe junior, senior in high school, and he was already performing. He was in the chorus line. He was one of. He was in the chorus and the chorus line. He went from that to um, uh, me and my girl, and he was the understudy for Jim Dale. Uh, and I got to see him perform actually, um, and it was funny. He was the first professional actor to kind of my parents told him oh he's interested in acting will you talk to him and he was really nice and he invited me over and we he showed me his resume his 8 by 10 and all of this stuff that I didn't know about he told you know he taught me about backstage and all of this and he's like you know um, he was in the tap dance kid that was the other show that he was doing at that time and then after that he got uh, me and my girl and I'll never forget I said oh anytime you you get called in to replace him, let me know. And you know, this is before cell phones, and I, ha I happened to be home, and he called me like a nutcase and said, I'm coming on tonight, you're gonna have house seats. You know? <laughs> so I ran over uh, to see him at the, um, oh God, I forgot, uh, the Marriott Marquis uh, Theater. And I, and I had house seats and I was watching, that was another Broadway experience, seeing somebody you actually knew, you know, and performing. From your and yeah, from your and, and a neighbor. And yeah, and it's so funny because one of the things that I remember going into his house was that he still had the top hat from, um, from the chorus line and he had it up on his uh, uh, hat tree and it was like, it had a place of honor up top and you knew immediately what right. it was. Right. Wasn't one of your neighbors uh, won an Oscar for a film short? Oh, uh, yeah. No, he was my parents' tenant. Uh, his name was Jim Brown and it was called The Pilgrim and I got to hold an Oscar. That is... <laughs> he won that. He won. Wow. I forgot what year it was, but it was called The Pilgrim. It's a short film. So now that we have established Park Slope, Brooklyn is not only the most cultured neighborhood yes. with theater and artistic provenance. Yes. I want to ask you one last question, both of you, before we end our little time together. Most of the people that, um, no, not all, but um, I've interviewed mostly people that either don't have children or their children are quite small. And you, you, your kids are teens and, you know, almost grown. So this is a question I've been asking everybody. What advice would you give to the child sitting in her bedroom in her top floor tenement walk up or in her little suburban house or in her comfortable little brownstone or anywhere in the world with that this child wants to be an artist but is not knowing how to find their way to it? What advice would you give them? Well, you know what? When I started Fordham, I knew I, I had a passion for it. So follow your passion. Yeah. And actually have passion, yes. have passion, really want to do it because it's a it's work. Everyone thinks, oh, theater major, you're not doing much. Uh, uh wrong. Um, no, the hardest work is being on a freaking film set for 14 hours. Yeah. Trust me. 
yeah, and, and doing is. the reading and the research and yeah. stuff that, that you, you need to, to do in the yeah. back, the, yeah. the historical or, or, or the doing nothing for, for six hours and then ding, showtime, you gotta do yeah. it, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you gotta be on, yeah, yeah. right, it, always. It's a lot of dig, yeah. digging, yeah. I, I, you know, yeah, follow your passion, and like, you know, you're only gonna get, uh, get what you put in. Do you have anything to add, Dennis? Uh, I would say, yeah, uh, I would definitely uh, agree. You know, when it comes to stuff like auditioning, uh, if you're into that, if you want to be a performer, you know, uh, don't let the nerves get you. You know, uh, perfection isn't necessarily what a lot of people are looking for, directors are looking for. They're looking for passion. They're looking for a feeling, you know, that... You know, uh, you really love what you're going to do or what you are doing. Um, so it's not so much perfection as it should be, you know, as it is passion. I think passion is the perfect word for yes, which passion. to lead this interview. Passion in Park. This is the passion in Park <laughs> episode. Thank yes. you, Dennis and yes. Allison Astor Vargas, for Thank being you. on Fisher Thank you. Woohoo! Como te amé por vez primera Con los años que me quedan Te haré olvidar cualquier error No quise herirte mi amor Sabes que eres mi adoración Lo serás mi vida entera Vivir sin ti No quiero recordar Cómo te perdí Quizás fue inmadurez De mi parte No te supe querer Te aseguro que los años Que me quedan Los voy a dedicar a ti Hacerte tan feliz que te enamores más de mí. Yo te amaré hasta que muera. ¿Cómo comprobar que no soy quien fui? El tiempo te dirá si 
tienes fe en mí, que como yo te amé, más nadie te podrá amar jamás, me que no es el final. Sé que aún me quedó una oportunidad. Sé que nuestro amor es verdadero Ay, con los años que me quedan por vivir Demostraré cuánto te quiero Demostraré cuánto te quiero. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Gloria Estefan with Con los años que me quedan, which means with the years that I have left or the years that remain, from her 1993 Mi Tierra album. And it's um, actually the song from Dennis and Allison's wedding, which was in the 90s. I don't know. I forgot what year. <laughs> Well, yeah, we played their wedding song. All right, Dennis and Allie, woo! Hey, kids, and that's our show. Um, I have an announcement to make. First, on next next Monday, November twentieth, Radio Free Brooklyn and the Footlight Bar are combining to sponsor the Fish Out of Agua Story Show. Monday, November twentieth, at seven o'clock p.m hosted by me and featuring stories from some of our best guest artists from the past season. Well, there aren't even any seasons anymore. It's just one long season on Radio Free Brooklyn. Yes, Monday, November 20th at the Footlight Bar, 465 Seneca Avenue in Ridgewood, just a short walk from the decalb stop on the L train. Tickets are just $5. There'll be trivia, prizes, some special surprises. It starts at 7, and hey, you can hang out for uh, the New York City Talent Show immediately following. And um, stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we are going to close with the last of the Astor Vargas picks. And you better listen up. It's going to remind you a little bit of uh, a season that's gone past, and it's from Chicago, Saturday in the Park, from their Chicago 5 album in 1973. See you next week! Woo-hoo!
long time.